0: Dave V and Jared W. Brand new guest on the program today, Mr. Owen Hegarty is on the show. Owen is the executive chairman of EMR Capital. EMR is a specialist resource private equity manager with extensive operational experience and a proven track record in successful mining operations, development, and investment. EMR has offices in Hong Kong, Melbourne, and the Caymans. You can learn more about EMR Capital via its website. E-M-R, capital, dot com. Mr. Hegarty, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, good on you, Andrew. Lovely to be here. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Oh, and do you have your favorite beverage in hand, sir?
1: Uh, yes, indeed. At this time of the day, I've got my favorite beverage. It's a cup of coffee. Thank you, Andrew.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time. And a special thanks to our mutual friend, Craig Perry, for setting up this chat. Let's kick it off here, Owen, by telling uh, the audience about your background and interest in the natural resource sector. Tell us where you started out.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, thanks, uh, Andrew, for that and and the opportunity to have a bit of a go with you on Smith Weekly. And congratulations to you on your extensive uh, coverage and, and network podcasts uh, so far. So w- well done with all of that. Look, my background, very simple. I, I mean, I've been in the resources and mining industry all of my working career, you know, which now spans uh, 50 years or thereabouts. So I really don't know anything very much else other than that. And so I effectively joined the Rio Tinto group pretty much straight from university, Andrew, going back a very long time ago. And and uh, why was that? Well, I, I did just sort of an economics degree and a few other things uh, much at the same time. Uh, in those days, uh you know people were looking for more and more graduates, so you know we didn't have to apply for many jobs people were they were all coming out to the campus to uh, interview you type of thing so I liked the idea of mining uh, and resources it was uh, it was international, it was remote, it was big capital spend and so on and so forth, and a little bit of boys and toys and trucks, I suppose Andrew associated with all that so You know, got involved and really just, I was uh, very lucky to join the mighty Rio Tinto group early on. You know, you go through a graduate training program and various other departments and businesses and so on. In fact, there wasn't, I don't think there was a commodity or a company or a country actually that whilst I was with Rio Tinto, uh, that I didn't visit. So yeah, that's how basically I got started. I re- really enjoyed it. It's been a great growth experience there at Rio. had 20 something years there. So that, that's how I sort of got started and, and in a way, Sort of never looked back. I suppose, Andrew, I always enjoyed it. Always very busy uh, and always very exciting. Good growth, you know, in the industry, Andrew.
0: Oh, and talk just briefly about what was it for you that you said, look, I'm going to strike out on my own here. I'm going to go do something else. When did that bell go off in your head and said, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to strike out on my own? It's been great learning from you know one of the biggest mining firms in the world, but uh, I'm going to move on and do some stuff for myself.
1: Yes. Well, again, interesting question. I was there with uh, the Rio Tinto Group for 20-something years, so it took me 20, 20 to 25 years to to learn that uh, uh, all of those things and strike out on my own. But I guess, Andrew, what was happening was that I was spending a lot of time in Asia. I was watching the growth of uh, the Asian countries and, and China. Uh, starting to grow, so it got Indonesia and the rest of Southeast Asia, Northeast Asia, and then with uh, China starting to grow. So, sort of watching that, you know, part of it in a way, we were supplying. Uh, materials into it, there were business development opportunities up there and Rio was looking at sort of getting into a little bit of downstream integration everywhere, every now and again to help commodity uh, sales of their products but it was, uh, that gave me the inspiration that uh, I thought that there was an opportunity here particularly in copper, particularly in gold, particularly in base and precious metals in Asia for a smaller guy to start out, start his own business and grow it and so you had a very good platform in the sense of the uh, Australian Stock Exchange. You had a number of companies who were doing not dissimilar things, particularly in the gold and copper space. And I thought that I had enough connectivity and relationships and networks and so on in Australia uh, and in Asia to actually commence uh, business. And we got involved in a in an acquisition, an early acquisition of a business that went exceptionally well. Uh, it got taken off our hands uh, in the, in about eighteen months or so, but then we we actually used that money there to put into what we call uh, the mighty ox so that's how we started that particular public platform oxiana was called and we grew we grew oxiana Andrew from a few million dollars to a few billion dollars you know one of those uh, overnight success stories that took about 12 or 15 years or thereabouts so that was the uh, that, I suppose, was the breakthrough. I I, I really, really enjoyed uh, my time there at Rio Tinto, but thought, you know, there were some really good growth opportunities to jump out of the big end of town, to jump to the smaller end of town. I mean, it's a bit of a leap, you know, type of thing from a personal perspective and a corporate perspective and family perspective, all those sorts of things, but took the leap and, and so far so good. It's worked, it's worked, it worked very well, particularly with the Oxiana growing that business, Andrew. So that that was sort of, I suppose, the turning point, if you like, the
0: tipping point. Great, and that brings me to where you think you got your big break, and maybe that is where it is. I think for a lot of us, that at some point that we realize that you know, look, we had a really good deal here that really kind of got us our first big break, and that guided you from there to wanting more of the same or something similar. Uh, would you say it was Oxiana? What was the big break for Owen?
1: well certainly Oxiana and, and growing the business and probably the biggest break in Oxiana, as i say just just prior to Oxiana, as i say we had a very good break in terms of a uh, a management buyout and we used the capital from that uh to begin Oxiana, but Oxiana got a seriously good break when we bought a uh, when we bought a development project from rio tinto it it was very high grade copper it had gold surrounding it uh it was probably a bit small for rio tinto but But, you know, just down the fairway really for uh, Oxiana, which was uh, growing and looking for those things up in in Laos, the Lao People's Democratic Republic. And we built that business, you know, very, very, very substantially. So that was was another break. I think that uh, in terms of those tipping points, as you say, as you go through your career, you know what it's like and still living it. There are various points at which, you know, you 've got to come to terms, I suppose, of a sort of a long, hard look at what you might have done and what you might be doing, where you might be going, uh, what you 're good at, what you 're bad at, <laughs> where you 've tried where you 've failed, where you 've come up short, all of those sorts of things, so you 've got to be continually looking at that and you 've got to be continually looking at that, Andrew, particularly when you 're outside the big mothership, you know if you 're no longer attached to the mothership of uh, of Rio and so on, you you tend to be doing all those sort of things yourself, and uh, they come at you uh, every day.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, the connections that you had spending the 20 years with Rio is, has got to be an important factor in maintaining those relationships over the years. You know, let's uh, come back to a personal item. What do you like to spend your time, Owen? And give us uh, places you like to spend your time over the year, your plans for 2022, where you plan to spend some time, and then also maybe if you could throw in your favorite leisure activity or two.
1: Okay, now look, uh, very interesting, and and, and I won't take too long. Andrew, the thing is, um, I mean, I love my work uh, here with EMR Capital, all the things that we're doing, we're building businesses, we're... Uh, looking at divestments and so on. So we're looking at all those sort of things all the time. Uh, and I love it to death, you know, because uh, I've been involved at the beginning of it a little around about ten years ago. We, we we're working together with people that I've worked together with for a long period of time, and love that, you know. And there's always challenges in in the whole thing, you know. Nothing simple, nothing's easy in our business. It's a volatile industry that we've chosen here, uh, so things go up and down. So you've, there's always uh, always a place. So so just love doing that, that's for sure. In terms of uh, places to go. I mean I've spent well Julie and I and the and the family spent a lot of time in Asia. We lived in Hong Kong uh, lived in Taiwan, you know, spent a lot of time traveling up in uh, China, uh, Indonesia, other parts of Asia. So so I love going back there. Got a lot of friends and, and relationships up in that part of the world. R- really, really enjoy that. And the whole family does that too. Uh, and from time to time, get a bit of a break here in Australia and play a bit of bad golf, Andrew. Very, very, very bad golf, but still... Uh, still enjoy it and my golfing buddies at the at the club are very happy for me to come down i might as well just leave my wallet on the on the bar for them for them to enjoy because they enjoy taking some money off me andrew
0: (laughs) we'll have to catch up and do some golf i'm a bit of a hack myself the snowmans are pretty frequent so uh, snowman referring to the big eight on just about every hole at par fours and par fives definitely (laughs) Sometimes the par threes and and a good drink and good company makes it fun, uh, even if you never get to the golf course uh, par for the 18 holes. Let's chat energy sustainability for a moment, climate trends like net zero carbon goals. What are your comments? What comes to your mind when I say the word energy sustainability, climate challenges and net zero?
1: Yeah, OK. Well, look, um, it's been coming at us for some time. The, the way we think about it and look at it uh, is, you know, energy transition, as you say, decarbonisation, responses to climate change and so on. It's a. Uh, it's no longer a thematic, it's actually a dynamic. And you now have uh, countries and, and companies and corporates and so on all committing one way or another to net zero, you know, whether it's 2030, 2050, uh, 2060 in the case of China and, and Modi's taken us out to 2070. So he's got he's given us 50 years, right, uh, of all of that. So, so that's one thing. And and just when you thought, I mean, Andrew, the ba- the background here has been, of course, of being in in commodities. We've all always thought that we're in for multiple decades of long term growth, anyway, one way or the other, you know, because the world continues to grow. Yes, you have your humps and bumps from time to time, and we had one with the Asian financial crisis. We had a very serious one there with the GFC and you had a shorter term uh, bump there with the COVID downturn type of thing. So they, they're always uh, there. As I say, you've got volatile prices and so on because demand moves quickly and supply moves slowly and so on. But the trajectory, the force, the dr- direction of commodity demand was, to us, perfectly clear. It was all going in a northeasterly uh, direction. So you've got good, good uh, growth. Everybody, uh, all countries around the world looking to get on that, as I say, super highway of economic growth and prosperity. That's what they want to do. You know, keep doing that. And now we've got the energy transition. So, you know, there's another layer effectively, certainly for uh, mining metals and commodities, another layer of demand because you're sort of shifting away from uh hydrocarbons you're shifting to towards you know batteries and energy metals and you know critical minerals and metals and all these sort of things so you've got another uplift you've got another boost there going forward so from a demand perspective we're going to see that uh you know stronger for longer as they say it's supply is where the issue is you know and we are supply people so we're part of the problem here uh in terms of how do you how do you match all of that supply and at the same time comply with what the regulator is is talking to you about about scope 1 emissions and scope 2 emissions and scope 3 emissions and so on and so forth so and and the industry uh, has actually responded very very well andrew to all of those sort of things so it's not as if it's been asleep and waiting for you know the regulator to say well now you're going to have to do this and going to have to do that uh we we've responded the Industry responded very, very well in the same way, Andrew, that we responded very well to the COVID crisis. You know, I mean, the mining industry is very well set up in terms of occupational health and safety, emergency procedures, all, all of all of those sorts of rules and regs, remote sites and so on. So, so when when it was social distancing, when it was testing, when it was this, when it was that, was masking up and all this sort of stuff. Well. We were onto that straight away, and, and the mining industry continued to produce. There are a few disruptions and conniptions and various other things around the world, but generally speaking, the mining industry in Australia and Canada, you know, responded. And North America generally responded pretty well. South America took a couple of hits, Africa took a couple of hits, but generally speaking, Australia, uh, North America responded very well. So. And in the same way, we as an industry are responding to the energy transition, Be- bearing in mind, uh, Andrew, that this is, it is a transition. You know it's a it's a journey and and modi's taking us out now to to 2070 so it's a it, it's not a marathon or, and it's not a sprint it's not a cliff and so on there's lots of things are happening there's technologies yet that are that are not invented that that we do need to get to uh, net zero by certain times and so on and so forth but the good news Andrew, is that there's so much work going into it and there's so much resources going into it. And the world is well and truly capable, whether it's the the mining industry or the Or the steel industry, you know, the the industries that that come next, you know, the the scope three type industries, there's a lot of work and they have such a massive industrial capability, a massive research and development capability these days compared to, well, whether it was 20 years ago or 50 years ago, you know, that capability is just enormous. So we would be, you would have to be very confident that the world is going to respond. You know, we were asked a question recently about Well, what about China? Can it really do, you know, 2060 net zero? Well, when you look at what China's accomplished in the past 40 years, Andrew, it's just amazing, you know, and well, of course it can do that in the next 40, you know, got for, got 40 years to do that. What has accomplished in the past, it, of course it can do that. Not only will it do that, uh, it will be a leader in all of those things. And in fact, it's already a leader, whether it's in the, you know, the solar technology, the wind technology, uh, all of those things it, It's going to continue to sort of show the Way so so we shouldn't uh, yes there's going to be you know supply disruptions and supply chain disruptions and there's uh, resource security uh, Andrew is going to be a big issue for countries and people and so on you'll see plenty of that but look again I think it's true to say that the direction the force the trajectory uh, is all perfectly clear we you, you know we're we're going to get there this is where, this is where the world is going now and we're part of it we're inextricably intertwined with all of that. So, you know, that's another challenge. And that's one of the reasons, Andrew, that, uh, you know, I just sort of love my work, if you know what I mean, because we're into that sort of stuff. We're not arguing the toss about, you know, climate uh, this and that and degrees of this and degrees of that. We're not arguing that case, that that case is gone. We're past that now. This is the way the world is heading. So, yep, very interesting, Andrew. I hope I, I stayed on the subject there for you.
0: No, you brought up a lot of good points, a lot of discussion i think modi's probably got the best timeline that probably works the best here Um, we've seen a lot of western you know legacy nations Owen, if you will that uh, you know later stage nations constantly push out their goals and will push out their goals as they start to realize that the ambition that was stated probably doesn't get met but along the alignment of a modi type uh, thought process you know 60 70 you know you mentioned things like compliance And when I hear the words compliance and regulatory and cost pressures and pressures from ESG, which we'll get into uh, jurisdictional pressures, et cetera, one thing Mm -hmm. comes to mind, price escalation. That's certainly something that we're going to see a lot of in, in our business, everything that is here in the natural resource business. You have a lot of tailwinds coming and I think it will continue. And I think we'll see that in the market as we move forward here. Let me come back and ask you a question a little bit on energy for a moment. Let's say you guys had the biggest copper mine in the world. Let's make it a posit that is unmined at this point. Hmm. If EMR was to build this out and the government said you can't tap the national grid, you have to come up with your own power and your own sustainability for your project, super large-scale project, what form of energy would you use to power your mine and to power electronic fleet and all your equipment?
1: Okay, so question, uh, very interesting question, of course, right? So, uh, I mean, it depends on location and and nearby resources and so on and so forth. But if there is no infrastructure, then as you say, you're using your own energy. One of of the things that... um, uh, that we in the industry have been doing is actually becoming much much more energy efficient and and whether that 's the usage of you know battery storage uh, wind power uh, solar uh, solar hybrids, and so on so we have We've actually been doing that for, for some time, and particularly when uh, you're here in Australia, Queensland, Western Australia, for example, you're able to do that because you've got plenty of solar and there's plenty of uh, wind type of thing. There's less hydro sort of running around the place. So you've got you've got all of those things, and they, they will now be developing super fast, uh, Andrew, in terms of those technologies. So, you know, and the work that's going on in America and in China, uh, in terms of, you know, big storage batteries and so on and so forth. It's just huge, you know, just tremendous. So, I've got no doubt that that's where you know that's where the future lies in terms of you know energy storage there, on-site use, and and all of your mobile fleet will certainly be uh, you know battery powered, and you will also have uh, lots and lots of automation and robotics, and you're seeing that happening now. You're seeing it happening, and certainly in the open pits, you've got automatic trucks and drills and shovels and and so on and so forth. Uh, but you'll see it happening more. More uh, underground as well, and that's where that's where some of the higher cost uh, mines are. We we've got a number of underground mines. They tend to be a little bit on the higher cost side because the more more people per unit type of thing. But but with uh, automation, with robotics, with uh, artificial intelligence, you can take that out, right? We could run it. You could run it from uh, your headquarters somewhere. So a bit of a ramble on there, but the the technology has been developing for all of that, Andrew, in terms of actually uh, minimising the energy input relative to the uh, output and being able to store on site and use uh, solar and wind because because we've been driven to do that because you you have had. I mean, this isn't the first time that we've got high oil prices, right? You will remember it has been 110 before. So you'll always be driven to become more efficient with, with those sorts of uh, energy prices uh, running around. And of course, availability is another thing. So the industry has actually been adjusting. So that's how that's how we would adjust it. It would be highly automated and it would have a lot of uh, that technology uh, associated with it. I think one particular, one individual mine site probably is still a little bit on the small side for a smaller scale, a nuclear powered uh, type of reactor. I don't know that they're down to that sort of scale yet. Uh, Andrew, but that is going to be the future, certainly in terms of the uh, nuclear industry and the uranium industry. Going to be smaller scale. Terrific amount of work going into it, and you don't come up with immediate solutions overnight with these things. But that's the way the world is heading, whether that be for you know whole countries, let alone whole you know provinces and and uh, industries. So, they're not obfuscating there, Andrew. Does that give you some sort of uh, answer, more or less, to that one?
0: Certainly it does and I appreciate the thought process on that. I should have clarified my scenario and said it's uh, barely sunny and there's no wind (laughs) <laughs> uh, but I think you gave the good answer there. I, You know, it's interesting because you know that uh, folks like the Russians lead in some of this innovation, whether it's their icebreaker fleet, whether it's their uh, small modular reactor mobile vessels that just pull up just offshore there and unroll the uh, cord and, and hook up. And definitely that scale is there. Maybe not in the Western mm-hmm. world, but certainly the Russians are demonstrating that. And as you know, they've kind of excelled with their uh, export program and, and at home as well. But uh, The future is bright, I think, on those items, and we certainly see a lot of pushes to go towards smaller scale. You know, fusion is on the books. Not sure if it'll happen anytime meaningful for you and I. I think we'll get there with regards to fusion. On the resource markets, I want to talk a few areas here with you and just get your thoughts because you're opinionated. You're a wise man. Let's start just to kick it off here, and we'll get to some sweeter stuff in a moment, but let's kick it off Mm -hmm. here with your thoughts on the future of and also near term coal and oil
1: yeah okay well look um again we prefaced uh the a little while ago the energy transition but and it is a transition uh it, it is uh, incrementalism you know uh going out for uh, a long period of time so you're still going to need uh you know lots of oil for a lot longer because because the world's still growing i mean it's not as if suddenly you just you're setting everything for 20 years or 50 or whatever that was we everything stops while you well, you transit out of oil and you transit into other stuff. That's not going to happen because you've got the world growing. You know, everybody wants to continue to grow. You've got population growing, expectations growing. I mean, the whole information technology and communications revolution has taught the world that they're, you know, that all like to do better than they're doing at the moment and, and what their parents and grandparents did. So they want to, they want some of that, you know, increase prosperity, that's why they want to grow you know and that that's going to continue whether you've got energy transition or not okay so you're not you're not just stopping everything and transiting out and it's all over in 2050 it's a bit like uh, for example just uh, thinking coal for a second a metallurgical coal metallurgical coal a bit different it's used in the uh, in the steel industry it's only about 10 or 15 percent of the world's total coal consumption in, in steel and but it, it does have a uh, you know it, it's an emitter uh, if you like, and, and therefore transitioning out over a long period of time. But, you know, you do need lots more of it. You actually need it to increase in the short term. It's part of the part of the solution because you won't produce all the steel that's required here for all of the infrastructure, for all of the transition. You, you won't produce any of that without metallurgical coal. You know, it doesn't doesn't matter whether oh, it's going to be more scrap and a DRI and you know hydrogen and so and, and so yes, you're going to have all that uh, and there's going to be various other things and so on. But you know, you're still going to need a you know long strong diet of high quality uh, metallurgical coal. So from that perspective, there's there's a very good future for met coal as far as we can actually see, Andrew, because of that transition, because of the importance of steel. Um, to the world. Uh, In terms of uh, thermal coal, a little bit of a different story. I mean, you do have alternatives. Now, they're pretty high priced, high cost type alternatives, but the cost of those alternatives are coming down wind and and solar. They're coming down on a daily basis, the technology, the work that's going into it is very good. Doesn't mean there's not work going into, by the way, making coal-fired power stations more efficient and less emitting and, and all of those sort of things. And carbon capture and storage, there's plenty of work and research going on in all of that, too. So that'll slow transition down. Uh, somewhat as well. So look, I'm I'm still uh, positive about these. Things. It's not as if they suddenly just fall off a cliff and that's the end of it. It's all over. Look at the price of oil today. It's eighty uh, something dollars, it you know it's not showing any signs of weakness there. So and look at look at thermal coal uh, and metallurgical coal, the same. Look at those prices. They're way up there. You're talking about inflation and so on. No wonder you got you got steel prices at all times high. You have got all of these uh, other prices that of all time high of course you're going to have some inflation it's a bit hard not to uh, when all of your you know sort of major inputs are actually you know at those sort of prices so it's going to be around for a while not not that we're not arguing that inflation is a great thing to have It's not we don't need it but you know you're going to have it from time to time so i think that that's a sort of a partial answer there andrew
0: you know i think sometimes Places like Africa, like parts of Asia, parts uh, certainly Central and South America still appreciate oil and need mm-hmm. oil to get to that next level of, as a developing nation that legacy nations have appreciated for much of the past 50, 60, 70, 80 years. There is a desire and there's conflicting interests, which is good. Mm-hmm. Diversity in this world is good. Oh, and I mean, mm-hmm. imagine global lockdown. It is good that we have those different stage nations, and you know this really well because of your jurisdictional experiences, various stages of all these different nations on this Mm. earth. In the meantime, I think you're absolutely right. I think this stuff uh, continues to be needed and because of the pressures on it and because of things like inflation, things like irresponsible printing presses, it's only going to likely go up and things, assets like this typically continue to go up. They might have some breaks, but they continue to go up. How about a little sweeter metals, the EMR specialty? How about Mm. copper and gold?
1: Well, look, I mean, I think copper is is a winner and will continue to be uh, a winner. It's a big, you know, industry, 25 to 30 million tons a year, and continuing to grow. It's sort of outperformed everything over the past 20 or 30 years, with the exception of gold, maybe. So, no, copper in very good shape. It's you know, it's powering the whole information technology, uh, communications revolution. It's electrifying China, the rest of the developing world. You know, noblest of all. There's no substitutes and they're still finding more and more uses, you know, microbial, copper uh, and so on. So it's a great thing to be in. And now with the whole energy transition, Andrew, you've got an, another layer of growth. So, you know, co- copper in, in, in very good shape. Again, we're, we're the problem, the supply side people. It's all very well to be long, but you need to be longer. You know, you need we need more copper. The world needs uh, more of it type of thing so we're very happy to be uh, in the copper business and like to be in more of it Uh, i think you're probably going to have to you mentioned jurisdictions i mean i think you're probably going to have to go to more sort of far away places or places that have been less popular over the past uh you know 40 50 and longer years so we're going to have to sort of uh, get on that train a bit too and jurisdictions of course will come and go somewhat in terms of uh, their sort of uh, in, in favor, out of favor, flavor of the month and all that type of thing. But, you know, I think the direction is actually uh, quite clear. Generally speaking, jurisdictionally, uh, you know, people, uh, countries want to develop and grow. Uh, and one way to, to do it, of course, and be involved in it, which has got a very good model that works, you know, we're, we're in Europe, it's worked in North America, it's worked in Australia, uh, is that mining and resources industry. It's, it's, it's an engine. Right, for growth uh, and so on. You know that will be, a, you know, a dynamic in some of these uh, other, uh, as I say, less popular places, uh, I suppose. And and will become will become more attractive. You mentioned parts of uh, Africa, you know, parts of Asia will certainly become more and more interesting and more and more popular. And we're just on copper. Okay, so so copper all good, you know. And there isn't an hour. Goes by that you don't get another sort of broker report, you know, talking up uh, copper and and the various uh, companies that they uh, actually follow. Uh, on the gold side, a- again, gold is an amazing metal. Really, I mean, it's what I would call the perfect metal. It's a commodity. It's a currency. It's a store of value. Uh, it's a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against geopolitical uncertainty. It's a hedge against financial uncertainty. And they're looking for substitutes for all of time, you know, cryptocurrency and, and of course, silver comes and goes a bit and platinum and various other things all all come and go. But, you know, gold is still there. It's it's physical, it's in demand, it's got a good, it's got a terrific consumer use, you know, in terms of jewellery. And, and a lot of that jewellery, you will have noticed, uh, Andrew, certainly like me, doesn't come back right it tends to you know it goes out there into the market and people say oh yes but all the gold that's ever been produced is still above the is still above the surface well that's right but try getting some of that back you know it's uh, it's it very difficult type of thing so it's got to and and it's so hard to find andrew it's so hard to find gold half of the world's exploration dollars go into gold. Can you believe that? They go into gold exploration yet, you know, from a resources and um, industry perspective from a sector perspective, it only takes up, what, 15% or something or other of the you know world's um, sort of commodities and so on, yet it takes 50% of exploration. So it is very, that's a good thing about gold, is actually uh, very hard to find. So and look, it's a, uh, you know, it's a hedge against all those things and, and Andrew peace, happiness, kindness and, and so on hasn't broken out yet around the world. You will have noticed that, you know. So you're going to have those continuing tensions and that's always, a people will always have a, you know, flight to gold under those sorts of circumstances. So that's why we like copper and gold.
0: Good points. You mentioned things like jewelry not going away. You included yourself in that and I would just propose that we create a Owen Hegarty <laughs> non-fungible token or something like that. That way that you continue them to move on no matter what. So... So so what copper really clear goes with things like uranium, copper goes with things like power grids, power Mm. plants, electric vehicles, everything Mm. in your house now. No Mm. doubt that it's a big deal as we continue here. Come back to gold for a moment and then I want to move on. Gold in the form of wealth, money, preservation, hedge against printing presses. What's the Owen opinion on gold? And do you believe and do you hold gold yourself in terms of having this as part of an insurance policy and all the other things I mentioned?
1: For all the things that we've just been talking about, for all those reasons, you know, you, you really want to be as long and strong as you possibly can in quality unhedged gold. Right? That's That's our view. Now we're talking our book a bit here, of course, because we are very long. Personally, I, I mean, personally, you know, I've got so much uh, sort of stock, if you like, in the in the business in the company that I that I am very long gold. Right? So uh, you'd have to say I've got a lot of gold, but I don't sort of store it in the in the house or, or in the vault uh, or anywhere type of thing, because we've got a we've got a lot of it uh, in the group, so as to speak. And as I'm saying, all all of the reasons for for buying it you know the increasing population jewelry, there's no substitute right for gold in the same way there's very few substitutes for copper so the you know uses just keep multiplying you know and you can't manufacture it out of um, you know, out of uh, carbon or something or other, you've actually got to got to mine it. You've got to mine it and, and process it. So, look, I like the idea of, of the sovereigns, and uh, people will continue to do that. So, uh, yeah, then that's another uh, another storage because people get a bit disillusioned. Delusion is another thing, uh, Andrew, but they get a bit disillusioned from time to time with the cryptos and uh, and various other things that effectively are substitute in a way for, uh, for gold, but they're not a subject because they just don't have that, that same presence, that same basis, that same history, that same physical presence of gold.
0: Agreed. In my view, there's nothing to stop other forms of that type of technology to come along. So it's kind of the flavor of the day. You know, Michael Mm -hmm. Saylor would disagree. But look, at the same time, congratulations to the folks who got it early, have been able to ride the show. Um, Not opposed to that. Speculation's okay, but uh, you Mm got to see it for what it is. Uh, Very good points on the gold front here. Just to wrap up before we move on to some other things, Owen, how about uranium? You've had some run-ins with uranium, but just give us your brief thoughts on that market
1: yes we 've had uh, we 've been associated with um, you know next gen uranium uh, Toro uranium here in Australia been associated with those companies with the flotation of them and the development of them and and ultimately success of them uh, i suppose look we 've always liked it and, and again, go back to um, my days at Rio Tinto. I worked on a number of uranium projects for them uh, rossing mary Kathleen uh, and so on so you know some familiarity there with that market and the and the product and the commodity. So look, and again, very supportive. I mean, it's 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 come and gone a little bit in terms of popularity around the place, particularly with those uh, with the accidents in Russia and Japan and so on. But I think when you look out over the next 50 years, if we, we've got plans to do all the uh, net zero and so on and so forth, uh, you're going to see continued proliferation of uh, nuclear plants. Uh, and they're going to require, of course, a diet of uranium. We're, again, we're happy to be long uranium. It's not a, it's not a so, favourite. It's not the right word, but it's not a commodity for EMR Capital because as a private equity fund, you know, we're sort of a little bit on the closed end side. So, so you've got a limited amount of time to do your work. Uh, whereas uranium, you do tend to need longer. Uh, there's sort of a longer gestation period, if you like. You need a little bit longer time uh, in, in a way to get the, well, make the discovery and then get the development, get permitted, then get the off-take arrangements and so on and so forth. And, and you know, because the sort of safety and security, uh, and you know, uh, also up there in, in North America, you've got to freeze the ground, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. So, so you know, we, we're always claiming that we're over-regulated anyway, but but uranium in particular got a fair bit of uh, regulation. Uh, going on so so that's why in a way not for EMR but as a definitely as a commodity we're you know it's in favor and we've put money into it no question about that we put money into it in um, in Rio Tinto we put money into it in in Oxiana in a way when we when we listed out uh, Toro and we've put money into it privately here with uh, uh, next-gen energy uh, ISO there with Craig Perry uh, and so on so definitely a fan a supporter of everything that those the smaller guys are doing and the bigger guys. So, you know, we're, we're a fan of that commodity, Andrew.
0: It's a tough sector, Owen. You definitely know that. And, and I've certainly realized that over the, the last five years or so of spending a lot of time and, and effort on the sector. I mean, you it certainly it's paid off, but hmm. definitely it's a very difficult sector. Before we move on, you have to pick one, which I think I know what it is, but your favorite hmm. metal over the next two to three years, pick one metal.
1: It, it, well, it's copper. For all the reasons that we've just talked about diversity of uses no substitutes growing number of uses uh energy transition uh all good and there's not a day goes by that you don't get another uh report on it and we're long through our listed company here in australia listed on the asx 29 metals Uh, that was a recent float andrew in uh in 2021 i mean 2021 was a pretty tough year for lots of things but one One uh, thing that we did do here was list off and load off an IPO, 29 Metals. Uh, it was very, we got it done. That was the most important thing. IPOs are never simple, never easy. They've got a bit of a long run up, if you like, to be able to get them there. It was very successful. We got the the funding. Uh, we took a little money. We are able to pay back our investors some money uh, and we are able to support 29 Metals with uh, money. It's got some really good operations uh, and a terrific growth profile going forward. And it's trading up. So that's always it's trading well above its uh its IPO price, Andrew. So even better, you know. And and we still own, uh, we EMR still own 45 percent and keep it forever. You know, that's our that's certainly our intention because of the you know terrific growth prospects that Peter Albert and the rest of the team have their 29M. So the answer, Andrew, is copper.
0: Owen, that's great, and I'm gonna cheat here and say that uh, that gold falls in really strong there. Yep copper, and I would also throw in uranium into that mix. Tremendous outlook, and it really complements the other factors that are involved here. And good point on 29 Metals. I encourage the audience to look at that. Um, And I want to get to the business model in a sec to talk a little bit more about what you guys do with these vehicles. But uh, before we do that, I want to talk jurisdictions for a moment. EMR, yourself, you guys have an appetite for I would classify tougher jurisdictions. You know, there's a few others out there who do more difficult jurisdictions. There's also some people that uh, are fairly well-known that also come out and talk about this potential migration of away from frontier nations back into some of these, what they would consider more stable jurisdictions. I don't know if that's uh, the best word to classify a, a legacy nation, but more stable jurisdictions, you know, like North America, places like, you know, Australia, Canada, United States. Tom Kaplan Nova Golds has mentioned, you know, this thought process in terms of a migration back to stable jurisdictions. But people like Robert Friedland would disagree, and I'd like to get your opinion on what you think are good jurisdictions moving forward and and maybe places you like now.
1: Yes, okay. Well, look, a couple of things there. I I don't disagree with uh, people looking back into the uh, existing sort of legacy nations. And and they do that anyway, simply because they are a little bit favourite and and, in many ways they'll be invested there. You know, For example, with our assets here in Australia at 29 Metals, for example the best place to find the next door body is in the you know shadow of the head frame, as they say, you know, it, it's right next door. So it's the ground. So you've got the infrastructure, you've got the people, you've got the operation. So that's where you should be looking. So that, uh, that's one thing. The second thing about that, of course, is that a lot of the newer, you know, because you've got a higher longer term copper price and other commodity prices, the, the marginal cost, the long term marginal cost will be higher. Therefore, you can actually spend more money, I suppose, looking at things. And a lot of the ore bodies are going to be undercover, so they're going to be harder to find. But the technology is such these days that you can actually, can do the deep search and, and so on. So that's another, you know, technically, technologically, I suppose, it's another reason for perhaps coming back there. But it doesn't mean you won't continue to see money flowing into those, uh, what have been sort of less popular or what have been a bit uh, sort of less stable, I suppose, is a way to put it. And, you know, with uh, changes of rules and regulations, I mean, we're we're long-term planners, thinkers and investors, right? So you, you want to, you've got enough moving parts in the whole thing, so you want to sort of minimize that, right? So if you've got a, uh, therefore, the jurisdiction that you go to, you want to be able to, you know, be confident that the rules and regs and so on are going to be the same. I mean, you, that's a very important factor, right? You know that from time to time, it doesn't matter. I mean, you might be here in Queensland or, or Arizona or somewhere, you know, the rules are going to change from time to time, but are they going to, are they going to knock you out completely, right? Well, no. You know that's that's you're much more confident about not being knocked out in those more popular jurisdictions. So when you go to a new, as you say, new frontier, you have to have that confidence. I mean, it's one thing uh, to have the confidence about the geology. Uh, You've got to have confidence about the, you know, infrastructure, the people, capability, being able to get your people in, being able to get your gear in, being able to get your product out, all of those sorts of things. You've got to be confident about that. But you've also got to be confident you're going to get a you're going to get a good deal one way or the other. And that just not you know, getting your license from the um, from the central government and getting your, then your sub-license from the provincial government. But you've also got to get your social license, which is uh, on the ground. You know, you've got to be very confident that you're going to be able to build relationships with the local people uh, so that you are a long-term sustainable business and continue to be supported by all of those folks. Well, not only the folks on the ground, but the folks in the province and, and so on. So you've got to have that confidence. So you've got to do, Andrew, you've got to do your due diligence very well uh, if you're going into those uh, new frontiers because they don't have a, you know, they may not have a track record in, in mining, right? They may not have a track record in in some of the more, you know, established governance areas, you know, so that's a, a bit of a moving part in itself. So itself. So what you have to do is, you, in a way, it's a partnership that you need to work with them to be able to develop in some cases uh, what the rules are so that that requires uh extra effort it requires on ground presence of your senior people uh you know pretty well all of the time to build up that relationship and of course once you once you establish those relationships and you build up trust and confidence you've got friends forever you know so that then becomes competitive advantage that's another attraction andrew competitive advantage by because you've done the work You know, you've established your business, uh, your people, uh, your sort of karma, your culture. You've established that in in the valley, in the country, in the province, uh, and that will always give you we feel a com- competitive advantage. So getting off subject there, but but I think the the point is, well, there might be a bit of a return to some of the uh, more popular areas of power. That's okay. You've got to do that, because you've got to go and find the ore bodies. I mean, we're supply-side people. We, we need more supply. But there will also be work in the frontier countries, as I say, less, what w- countries that have been less popular, and perhaps less stable in the past. And as you say, you mentioned uh, Robert Friedland. I mean, what, what, what an absolute it, a magician robert is he's done an amazing an amazing job there in the uh, in the congo and built a you know multi billion dollar uh, business with a crackerjack copper asset you know against all odds against all opinion against all oh never do this never do that it's the congo blah 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 well you know the he's demonstrated that it is uh, eminently uh, possible to build the business, build the mine, and, and attract other investors. He's got the big Chinese groups uh, there, uh, and so well and truly embedded, you know, into that. A jurisdiction and leading the way, right, leading the way not only uh, in Africa, but leading the way for other very good example uh, of how to do things uh, in other places, Andrew. So, so we, you know, we can take confidence from that as a that it can be done because uh, it, it's been done there with uh, Robert. So he's a great leader.
0: Well said. I think you have to be flexible and you got to uh, mix some of these jurisdictions together to get the proper uh, punch, if you will. And certainly, yeah, Ivanhoe's uh done a great job. It's it's been a long follow of ours. Uh probably a patient one, but the market mm-hmm. is continuing to warm up and warm up and warm up. And you're seeing that mm-hmm. in the in the six, seven year chart. We'll see how things proceed there. And I certainly agree with your views on it. I, I don't think it's a, a one of the other. I think that you have to have a blended approach. And uh, you know, look, there are opportunities in some of these legacy jurisdictions and there's some nice deposits uh, that we can think Mm. of that are undeveloped that have Mm. challenges at the regulatory front. But you did uh, touch on a topic that I, I wanted to touch on briefly here because you've already mentioned it a few times in the conversation. But give us the Owen view of ESG and to you, given what EMR has been doing and what you've been doing for the last 50 years, is ESG anything new to you or is it just another acronym for CSR? (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, it, it 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 tends to be a little little bit the latter. Look, ESG is certainly nothing new from our perspective. It's a, yes, it's certainly developed into that particular acronym. I mean, environmental, uh, social, and governance, and they're all separate, but uh, they're all a bit commingled and intermingled, right? Environmental management is something that has been uh managed by mining companies because at the end of the day you're making a you know an incursion uh in a way uh, into the ground into water courses into the terrain Uh, and so on. So therefore, you you need to manage the environment and ultimately rehabilitate and restore and so on. And we've been getting, uh, you know, much, much better at that over a a long period of time. And particularly if if you're going into uh, areas where you've got heavy populations, you've got high rainfall uh, and so on and so forth. So you need to do your uh, environmental management work very well and that's where it gets commingled, of course, with the social uh, management uh, as well, so so in, in environmental management mainly mainly on the technical side, but it does of course uh, gets involved with the social side. And there's nothing, I mean, in a way to me, and I keep saying this uh, regularly, Andrew. To me, nothing more important than getting your social work done. I mean, you, you're not worth showing up if you can't do that. You know, if you if you can't actually win the trust and the confidence of the people uh, who are there or been there, who uh, or, or who will come there. You know, if you, you if you can't do that then you don't have a sustainable uh, social life so you must you must do that work well so that's the I suppose the S side of it and and, and it doesn't matter whether you're in the uh, you know the jungles of Laos for example or the or the you know rainforest of North Sumatra the Atacama Desert the red dust of of the Mount Isa inline it doesn't matter where you are you know in the world you, you, there, there are always going to be lots of people around, you know, and um, and there's going to be lots of um, uh, heritage uh, and so on. So you you have to do your work uh, so well. So that's that's very important and. and Recognised uh, early in a way, I was probably a bit lucky growing up in that whole Rio Tinto uh, area where that became more and more important as the years have gone by. And so, therefore, we we adopt that. That's first first principle, if you like, of new developments is making sure you get that right. So they're very conscious on the on the social side. Very conscious on the. Uh, environmental side, and, and we we will claim, you know, we'll claim leadership there, if you like, we'll claim competitive advantage, we say we do it as well as anybody, and it is terribly important, and, and our investors really, it's really important for them, right, to, to see that, because it's becoming, you know, yes, ESG in itself is becoming more popular, certainly as a term, but in substance as well, you know, you've got to be able to do that work well, uh, and it's more than just a box ticking, you know, it's, it is actually demonstrating time after time that that each project that you're involved with each uh, business and uh, each company uh, has all of the right uh, sort of uh, criteria and principles and policies and procedures and so on. The G, the governance side of it, governance, for example, the platforms, you've got the Australian Stock Exchange, you've got the Canadian Toronto Stock Exchange, all of the uh, Western exchanges, and now you've got the other exchanges, particularly uh, in in Asia. And and they all have a very similar suite of you know rules, regulations, standards, principles, policies, procedures for you, uh, uh, as a corporate to comply with and and all the way from uh you know not only reporting and getting your sums right financially but reporting in terms of the you know the jork Code and uh, NI43101 and all the various standards, uh, all of those things. But but also increasingly, uh, you're seeing sort of diversity and, and equity and inclusion and gender and some all of these things are, are, are coming in, you know, becoming more popular. But but also becoming an, an, an important part of your. Uh, whole governance uh, regime. So, in, particularly in, in a public company, but private the same. I mean, we're, yes, we're private equity. We've got most of the companies are private company, but the, we all have the same same standards. You know, we're always going for best international practice. I mean, that's what you have to do. You have to follow best international practice. Doesn't matter a public company, uh, a private company. You can't hide anything these days. You're effectively, you know, open. It's it's open book, open slather. So therefore, you know, you have to aspire to best international practice. And at the end of the day, we're business people, right? We're not the regulator, So, of course, we'll follow the money, we'll follow the trend, we'll follow the market. We'll follow the regulator because you won't go anywhere if you don't do that. And we'll follow best international practice because otherwise you'll become less less competitive over a period of time. So just to, to remain competitive, you must follow those, uh, those standards. So, so again, a bit of a rabbit on there, Andrew, but I hope that sort of uh, covered off a little bit on the ESG side.
0: No, great overview, Owen. And you need a good team uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to carry out a lot of this stuff and do it to your standard, which uh, continues to be important. And it's it's tough to find good people. That's also a factor as well. Let's get to the business model. And let me take Mm -hmm. a crack at it here. And then you can do a better job at it to explain better than I can. But you guys are acquiring assets via acquisitions, private or public, um, at a good price with upside, a good amount of upside left, develop and produce eventually list the company continue the upside and then essentially rinse and repeat is that's the model <laughs>
1: Uh, yes, it is. That, that, that is that is the model. I mean, our our model tends to be, you know, operational. We're operational people. Uh, we've got a very good track record. Been working together. You mentioned people are always difficult to get good people, but that's why I'm very happy and very lucky in a way to be working with people that I've worked with for 20 years. You know, and it's terrific. They haven't thrown me out yet. You know, so I, I as I say, I'm very happy to continue to work with them there. So. You know, good good relationship people. We've got to we focus on a few commodities only. So we don't want to be everything, all things to all folks, et cetera. And, and as I say, good track record, particularly when it comes to the Asian part of the world where all the growth has been uh, and a lot of the acquisitions are going to continue to be made in the Asian part of the world. So we've got good... Uh, relationships there. So uh, so it's operational. We like to be in control, not because we're control freaks pathologically per se, simply because we've gone to a lot of trouble actually to put together, you know, good teams, good people and so on. So you want to be able to use that technical, technological operating background and, and capability. So to, to maximise the use of that, you've got to have a, a control position or joint control or, or ultimately get to a Control position, and what you want to be able to do is buy an existing operation or something that's about to start producing. We don't we don't want to be early stage exploration per se. You know, late stage exploration, I suppose, in the sense of um, uh, you know an existing all body discovery that could be quick to production. You, you've got to limit the timeline a bit. The PE model is such that you know, as I was saying a bit earlier, it's a certain uh, time frame. Uh, so therefore, you've got to get in, do your work, and be able to have confidence that you're going to be able to get out so it's a buy and improve type of model and then ultimately exit and the exit can be you know transit out in uh, like a 29 metals an ipo uh, or you can hold it for a long period of time. I mean, there's plenty of private equity groups have held assets for 20 years, even though it was a 10 year fund, you know, because simply because they're very good assets. And, and why would their LPs, why would their shareholders sort of uh, give them a catch if, they, if, they, if they've got something that, uh, you know, continues to sort of um, Uh, perform in terms of uh, cash flow for their constituents, you know, so, so you do have that, uh, that type of flexibility. So that's our model. I was going to say, uh, and we're very rigorous and very disciplined about it. Uh, Again, a little bit of advertising, I suppose, for EMR capital, but you know, we've got, we've got a good model. We've got a good uh, suite of, you know, principal policies, procedures and very rigorous and disciplined about the way in which we go about our uh, work and, and very proud of the of all that. And generally speaking, been successful, you know. So, I mean, it doesn't mean you're not going to have sort of humps and bumps and conniptions and, and regrets, you know, from time to time. That's a part of life, you know. Uh, it isn't perfect. I don't know whether you've noticed that over the years, Andrew. Uh, it's not completely perfect. So, so, therefore, you know, you're going to have those. But again, part of your experience and background is actually dealing with that stuff. You know, talking about experience, one of the quotes that I do like, digressing uh, just quickly, one of the quotes that I do like, experience is what enables you to recognise a mistake when you make it for the second time. <laughs> True. So, True. so the more the more you've made, you know, you learn so much more from your mistakes, I suppose, than your successes, you know. So. Uh anyway that's uh, again getting off the off the track there but look that's that's our model and and you know so far touchwood uh so good it it works uh, very well we've got a lot of as i say good people good projects and and good supporters and and we're going to keep doing it you know it it works so you know it's not broken uh so we don't have to fix it quickly
0: very well and i suspect there's a good amount of good folks on the team there Owen. You said 29 metals. That's one of them. But uh, are there any other companies in the EMR portfolio that you just want to mention and maybe what the focus is? Just take 30 seconds on each. Just maybe mention a couple other ones just so the audience can go do some of their own research on this. But, uh, you know, talk a little bit more about the umbrella and the portfolio companies.
1: Yes. Okay. Well, again, as I said we're copper gold. Twenty nine M is uh, is in the copper site. We have a company here in Australia called Ravenswood Gold. That's a private company that we own with our Indonesian partners, fifty fifty. We may bring that to market at some point in time. That's in in Australia. Uh, that's a, you know going to be Queensland's largest uh, gold mine actually. When we finish with uh, the development of it to, uh, by the end of this year, we're also in in Queensland in the Kestrel Metallurgical Coal Mine. With our friends at uh, again out of Indonesia at Daro, as well as Mitsui. So that's Kusen again. That's that's private. Uh, in the UK, we have the West Cumbria uh, metallurgical coal deposit, and that's a trivic project uh, right in the middle of infrastructure and and people and so on and so forth. And it's going through its final permitting hoops to get um, to get permitted there. That's West Cumbria. Uh, we have two potash uh, projects, one in. One is a public company, Andrew. It's called Highfield Resources (HFR), listed on the Australian Stock Exchange, and that's a that's a potash project in Spain, in northern Spain, just outside Pamplona. Again, in the middle of the market, in the middle of infrastructure, uh, you know, township nearby to be able to draw people. So, you've got good quality, capability of, of people. there. say so if you're going to be in the, you're going to be in any business, I suppose, but particularly if you're going to be in the bulk commodities, you really need. To, you need to be, have an in, infrastructure solution, either you know, in the middle of the market, the middle of infrastructure, uh, ideally both, because you don't want to be building railways and airports and ports and stuff uh, all over the place. I mean, life's tough enough building the mine and the processing plant. You know, you don't want to be building all these other things at the same time. So, right. so high resources, the the Potash project there in Spain is a you know, it's a crackerjack project, and that's at the again final permitting and the financing uh, side there and we've got a potash project over in utah in america and that's a that's an sop a more specialty potash sop from a brine the lake, the Sevier player over there in southern the southern part of uh, Utah, and that that again is at the final feasibilities, all fully permitted, uh, and it's good to go in terms of financing, and that'll produce S O P down for you know S O P is a nutrient that you need for for the macadamias, av- avocados, and various other uh, fruits and berries, and and so on and so forth. So. That's, uh will be used down in California and Mexico and, and Peru and, the, and those places. So that's, that's that particular project. So that's a bit of around the grounds there around the, around the world. And, and I should say, Andrew, that we do have a pipeline of things that we're looking at, you know, other projects, whether they be in Australia or Asia or North and, and South America or Europe for that matter. So looking at a number of things and opportunities are there. No question about that. Yes, the prices are a bit higher. So you've got to be a bit careful about all of that. But generally speaking, uh, they are available. So we're looking at a number of them and and dealing you know, regularly uh, with people. We're also looking at, a, at, a, at a, uh, other platforms, uh, whether that be the SPACs in North America or Asia or, or Europe. Uh, and other types of platforms, as well as the fund structure uh in itself so look we've got we've got plenty going on, Andrew, you might say
0: absolutely lots going on, pretty interesting jurisdictions interesting uh focuses across the board here Owen so I appreciate that and encourage the folks to uh to take a look at some of these companies and and look at where you guys are focused because I think it points to uh, some of your views as well and yeah, I appreciate that that's great. How about plans over the next few years? Neither of us are spring chickens anymore. And (laughs) I suspect you really like what you're doing. If you really like what you're doing, you never retire, right? And you just keep going. Yeah, you might do less, but you just keep going, right? And what's your personal extra strategy over the next few years? And, you know, how long will you continue to be the boss at EMR?
1: (laughs) Good question. As I say, life is like riding a a bicycle. If you stop pedaling, you fall off. And and the other thing, the other thing, Andrew is I can't afford to go and play golf because of all my buddies there keep taking so much money off me down on the golf course. So I've got to I've got to come to work, you know. So, but look, as I, as I said, the I mean we we set this business up. It's it's very busy. It's vibrant um and and i love it you know and i've put all the people together put all the investors together uh, put all the assets together uh so you know it's my it's my duty is my responsibility it's my accountability uh to you know stick it out and and look to uh see that they go okay and and my you know boys and girls colleagues here as i say haven't thrown me out yet but you know there will be a of course a, tr- a transition over a period of time but over the next five Plus years don't see too many changes from that perspective. I mean, you've got to move with the market, you've got to move with the times. But you know, God willing, I just uh, look forward so much every day to coming and working with the, uh, my teams uh, here, wherever we are, whether in Hong Kong or Melbourne or all of our all of our groups, you know, around the world basically. And and that that hasn't been simple or easy. Uh, Andrew, with COVID, you know, you can go here, you can go there, got to quarantine, got to do this, got to do that. So it's been a bit awkward, you know, getting around to seeing people. And that's one of the worst things about it. You know, you haven't been able to get out and talk to people, right? You know, give them the confidence that you care. We're with you in this stuff, right? We're all all in it together. It's a, it's a unified uh, approach. That's, that's just showing up, you know just showing up whether it's on site uh, whether it's in the community wherever it is it, it's it's just so important right to be able to give people the you know the confidence that you do care you know that you are there and, and supporting them as opposed to you know uh kicking back uh in, in headquarters andrew
0: i like that stay ambitious stay hungry lots of fun years ahead i think owen so uh Appreciate your thoughts on where you're headed, where EMR is headed. From your perspective, looking back over your career, Owen, what words of wisdom do you have for the 20 to 40-year-old natural resource investor, maybe for the young executive looking to build value as you have and success in this business? What words of wisdom do you have?
1: Yeah, look, and again, very interesting. Words of wisdom and me are a bit of an oxymoron, right? So, uh, so a bit of a contradiction in terms. Having said that, one or two of the things that um, that that I have learned, and and you know, you heard me bang on about this today. That really, we've got so much work to do here uh, over the next fifty years that we can't sleep at night in our industry, right? So, we're we're part of the. but we're really part of the solution, right? We have to, uh, whether it's the technical development, uh, whether it's encouraging and and training up, uh, you know, capable people, uh, whether it's making new discoveries or developing new resources, we have to do that, right? So we have to show some leadership uh, there uh, and, and, you know, we have to grow uh the business and grow the people to you know to do all that you know because i'm not i'm not going to be here uh in 2070 when modi when modi says yes we made it you know uh we're, we're net zero type of things you've got to build up the team to be able to do that so i'm i'm always looking for people or encouraging people to see those sort of um uh, opportunity. So that's I would encourage people to stay with it. It does have its moving parts. It does have its volatilities, but you know, you use them as as opportunities. Use them as um, opportunities to develop and learn and uh, and continue to grow. But um, yeah, so that that's uh, one particular thing. The other thing that I should say, Andrew, in terms of a what we've learnt, one of the things that um, that I learnt at Rio Tinto was was actually the very strong discipline and rigour, you know, the, that you need to go about your work. You must do your work well, you know. As they say, the best preparation for tomorrow uh, is to do today's job superbly well. And that was that was one thing that we learned there, very, very disciplined uh, approach to getting your due diligence done, getting your, your work done, because the sort of things that you're doing here, the decisions that you're making, if you're going to go going to a new country or a new project or a new business, those decisions that you're sort of making there, you know, they're going to last forever in a way, right? You're building a new mine and so on. So, so that's when you really have to do your, your best work at the, at the very beginning here. So that's the other thing that I would say. So yeah, just those, those couple of things, uh, Andrew, if that makes any sense at all.
0: Well said, hold a high standard across the board and do everything well. Okay, beside yourself, we gotta throw you out. Let's throw out Twiggy. We already <laughs> covered Friedlands, so let's throw him out. But are there any other natural resource entrepreneurs that you think people should pay attention to? Are there any names you'd like to mention? We've already mentioned Craig Perry too.
1: Yeah, well I've mentioned Craig Perry, um and, and he's an amazing person. And of course our very own Tony Manini here. Well Tony and Craig really part of the family in a way. Tony Manini got very good. You know, commercial uh, and technical savvy. Uh, you know, technical excellence combined with commercial savvy is a uh, is quite unique. So you're always looking for always looking for those sorts of people. I mean, the big guys, as you say, Robert Freeland and, and Andrew Forrest, and these people are just special, really. They're magicians. You know, they're they're sort of one-offs, right? But the multiple people that I've worked with uh, back in the Rio Tinto days, who may not have been so much entrepreneurial is as highly disciplined, experienced people, absolutely resolute, these are the things that we're going to get on with, and we're going to achieve them. So we've had those, I've worked with those people in Rio Tinto, I've worked with them in uh, Oxiana and so on, I've got the greatest respect for going all the way back to, you know, I've been lucky enough to work with people like, you know, Saval Duncan and, and uh, Sir Mark Turner, who were the, you know, the entrepreneur and the financier, if you like, for the beginning of the, of the Rio Tinto group, just amazing experience working with the, those people and they're very encouraging you know they were they were 85 levels of, of sort of structure above me when i was a junior analyst uh, there type of thing but they're so inclusive right and they're always bringing you in and talking and you know wanting to get and they're wanting they're wanting to train you up you know that's that's what they want to do they want to impart their knowledge and train you up and that's very powerful learning you know you don't want to bottle it up this is mine you've got to you've actually got to get out there and bring people into the tent and and bring people uh, along with you. Okay, I mean, there's uh, various people here in Australia that you will know, Jim Askew, who lives in America, uh, as well as here in Australia, just an amazing, uh, you know, accomplishments over a long period of time in the mining industry uh, from a corporate perspective and a, and a personal perspective, the greatest respect. Again, it's, it's it's discipline, it's achievement, it's staying with it, you know, it's uh, staying with the program, sticking it out, having that persistence, nothing in the world succeeds like persistence <laughs> as long as long as you're persisting with the right theme at the time, no other particular uh, individuals come to mind other than those that, that we've mentioned at this time.
0: There's quite a few that uh, just haven't been thought of at this very moment. Yep. We'll give you a break on that, Owen, oh, certainly, because I can't name them all either. In addition to this, as we wrap up here, if you could have one magical superpower attribute in the world today, what power would that be for you?
1: It would probably be geological in a way. It would be the, I suppose, the power of discovery is, is one. Uh, so to, to be able to do that, uh, as well as, I guess, in a way, marshal martial resources, marshal uh, financial resources uh, and marshal people resources. So they're the challenges that we face, right? We face challenges in terms of geology. We face challenges in terms of uh, you know, financing. And we face challenges in terms of people. So they're the they're the key, you know. They're the ingredients. They're the things that you would well. They're, they keep us busy on a day to day basis, right? So that's what we have to do. So you know, if there's any, if there's any superpower way of making them easier, then we're happy to grab it with both hands. Uh, Andrew, let us know if you if find one somewhere.
0: I appreciate that. That's great, Owen we've got a diverse set of audiences here uh, listening in investors institutions funds company ceos technical expertise support services a couple things here for them why should they pay attention to emr and the work of their group
1: again for all the reasons that we've been talking about here and that is well you know we are we're resources people we're mining people we're growth people we're value oriented people so we're growing value for for our investors and uh, our stakeholders generally so we we're growing value for all of the all of our stakeholders We think we do it very well. We think we're sort of uh, best in class, best in show, all of those sorts of things, technically, and and so on. So, you know, a bit of, I suppose, as you say, advertising. But, you know, we've been doing it for long enough now, you know, to know what what it takes. So uh, that's that's always a a good thing. So we think that, and we're in the right commodity, in the growth commodities, we didn't just, you know, uh, pick them out of the air, throw something at a dartboard. As you've heard me bore you, all the death and your listens here uh, with <laughs> gold and copper right? We, we just love it for all these reasons. So, you know, you've got to follow those trends. They're they're going to be in-demand commodities and there's challenges to supply. So there's only one thing going to happen to the prices. They're going to be under tension. So we are long and we will continue to be longer in those things. So therefore, that's, I think that's attention grabbing, as you as you put it. And, and we're growth oriented, right? So we're not going to sort of get to the end of the fund and say, oh, thank goodness that's over. We'll go back and uh, play golf or get Get back under the bed or get out of the way or something or other. we're going to keep doing it you know we're going to expand our platform so that's our that's our plan
0: at this stage owen you don't have to advertise your brand but you guys certainly have shown that and you guys have shown that expertise so that's a nice position to be in best way for the interested parties to reach out to emr capital what's the best way to contact
1: uh the best way is to emr capital uh, com, So, it's very simple, via the, the website, easy, and we guarantee a response, that's for sure. So, or you can go, you know, the people will have heard, you know, 29 Metals, Highfield Resources, uh, and various other sort of uh, groups and companies within the family. So plenty of those around as well to go directly. But, and again, very happy, it doesn't matter, it have to be a stock or invest in the fund or invest in 29M or so on and so forth, it's just a general question. We, we heard you say something about Sir Val Duncan, you know, it was he. Uh, <laughs> you know, so we're always, we're always up for a bit of a chat and open for those sort of questions too, Andrew.
0: Oh, and this has been great. Always a pleasure to speak to good people of your caliber and stay well out there and you're welcome back anytime.
1: Uh, Well done. Really appreciate it. And congratulations, by the way, to you and uh, the Smith Weekly program. Really, really good. And, you know, I know that you will go from strength to strength. And it's been a, a great pleasure talking with you today. Thank you, Andrew.